Hello, everyone. Uh, today on Insecure Space, I am Cody, and I will be your guest host. I'm going to be stepping in to help talk about how we make money in cybersecurity in ways that you might not think about. We're also going to talk about bug bounties, hacking smart light bulbs, and the Chicken Man game, which is a Wi-Fi hacking game for beginners that doesn't involve any deauthing and won't get you in trouble for under ten bucks. So, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> this is weird. What? The, yeah. <laughs> we never do stuff like we have the the intro sequence that we used for every episode, where Space Hunt says, "I'm here with David," and I say hi, and that's what we are used to. I think everyone knows us at this point. Yeah. So we don't yeah. Well, yeah. I figured you guys would be like, "Hi, I'm David. Hi, I'm Space Hunt," and today. Let's get started. <laughs> That's way too professional for the <laughs> for the for the vibe of the podcast. But yeah, yeah we appreciate it. <laughs> People come here for the awkwardness. That's all right. Yeah, the beginning is always awkward. That's, that's <laughs> okay. Sorry, I didn't know that awkwardness was a, a prerequisite for the intro. Nah, it's all, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, uh, so, how to make money in hacking? That's our main topic. Yes. Uh, so today uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about different ways you can make money in cybersecurity because everyone thinks you have to go into IT or be a computer scientist. But actually, if you're interested in cybersecurity, there's lots of different ways you can do it. So kind of the way I thought we could do this is just uh, I'll kind of like lead into the topic a little bit and we can just kind of do a little bit of back and forth. I'm going to hit you guys can see the topics I'm going to hit up ahead. So, yeah, how do we make uh, what's expected? Um What's the best option? Uh, but I mean, if you guys have any thoughts, just you know, jump in. Be like, "Oh, interesting." Or, oh, what about this? I don't yeah. want to just like dominate the whole thing and just like sweep in. But anyway, yeah. So first off, like, what do you guys think of when you think of like jobs in cybersecurity? Like, what kinds of things come to mind? Not the bug bounties. Uh, not bug. Not bug bounties. Uh, you said job security. Yeah, yeah, like like cybersecurity jobs. Like, how do you make money oh, uh, getting into hacking? Oh, you said a job which is secure, uh, which is definitely. I mean, uh, <laughs> bug bounty is definitely one of them. I just thought you're talking about something that you can get a secure income with in the security field, and uh, I think this is not one of them. But I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, talking a bit later about it because it's it's an interesting thing but yeah you, what you wrote are way more traditional things that are that can be considered like a normal job uh but what you said like pentester blue team MERS it law enforcement and military like that's yeah that is the expected one I mean, yeah, I think those are the ones you see most anyway. Like when you yeah. when you look at uh, like you know scenarios where you would be explaining, okay, well, I want to learn about hacking. Well, why would you want to learn that? You know, most people say, well, you know, if you don't have people testing the security, how do you know it's good? Um, so it's the easiest way to kind of explain cybersecurity, but it might not be the route for everyone. You know, like if you get bored of doing the same stuff over and over and over. Uh, I mean, some jobs in cybersecurity doing red teaming, you, I guess you'll probably always be doing different stuff. But if you're, you know, if you're going to go into a job where you're doing mostly the same thing over and over, some people aren't good at that or they don't like it. And if you're going to be a specialist uh, and only focus on one thing, people get bored of that kind of stuff too. Maybe they want to go and learn a new skill. Maybe they want to go and try something you know that's outside of that very narrow 
thing that they've been employed for. So sometimes like traditional jobs in cybersecurity don't work out for people or it's not really you know what they think about because they don't want to go and work for the NSA because they might not agree with everything the NSA does and they might not have all the math skills to you know go into computer science but still really want to like be around and have a difference in cybersecurity. So there's definitely reasons why you know traditional jobs might not work out. Um, I used to work in security, but physical security, where I would find problems in like the, the music venue that I worked at, and I would be like, "Hey, like you know, people could sneak up in this back door. Nobody's checking their bags. We have these giant shows. You know, somebody needs to be watching this back door." And they'd be like, "Yeah, we don't, we don't think it's gonna be an issue. So let's just not worry about it." So it was really discouraging to notice serious problems and then have them not be taken care of. And that that same thing happens to people who work in penetration testing all the time. They'll find a problem. Uh, I heard a story one time of uh, you know some guy managed to get access to these insecure file cabinets that were being store used to store all these company documents. They flagged it, and the company's like, "Oh, good job." And then they moved it to a new location. So six months later, when the guy you know, tested a different facility, he ran into the same file cabinet that he told them about in a previous one. So um, another thing is women and minorities um, might have a hard time getting paid the same as their male counterparts. Um, or or <clears throat> that's kind of something that happens in a lot of tech uh, industries. If you're a programmer, a lot of people complain about the same sorts of uh, barriers. And cybersecurity is no different. Um, it's hard to get the same opportunities sometimes if you are not a like a straight white male. Uh, then... <clears throat> maybe in some other industries. So that's pretty discouraging to people who, you know, are looking for role models and then seeing sometimes those role models not being treated uh, as respectfully as their male peers. So that's something that the industry really needs to work on. And sometimes, uh, you know, if you go, I had an experience where I met a lady who was extremely talented. Uh, she was trans and she went into law enforcement and they just did not appreciate like what she was able to do because they were, they were not, quite there when it comes to being able to accept her. So when she moved to a private company, which was actually Rapid7, um, you know, they valued her for what she was able to do. And she was much, much happier and found that, the, you know, uh, the traditional job she wanted to get into of fighting crime in law enforcement didn't work out. So she had to go into the private sector and she found a job where she was a lot happier. Hmm. So, um, you know, and sometimes people just feel like their jobs aren't rewarding or like they're not making a difference in the world. Like, you know, some people just don't want to sit around and do stuff that they don't feel like is having an impact or making the world a better place. So, um, you know, there's there's reasons I feel like why, why people would, after a while, not want to do that job anymore. It's simply because they want to move on to something greater in their life and feel like they're leaving some sort of legacy. And cybersecurity can really help you, I feel like, take part in, you know, the current times and make things more safe or even like help genuinely help people around the world. So there's a lot of ways you can do that besides just securing systems. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. So the first one I wanted to propose is just teaching. Um, oh yeah. Wait, before you go into the alternatives, I feel like I know a lot of people in this field, but I don't feel like I know anyone that just said straight up, Oh, I want to learn hacking to get one of those classical jobs. Really? Do, do you know? I mean, I I, I feel like I mean, I, I obviously I didn't ask around everyone. Now I just I just came into my mind that I don't really know anyone that said, "Oh, I want to learn hacking to get a job at this company specifically I, or something." I think maybe most of the people only want to get the. I mean, not talking in like about everyone but most of the people are trying to get the job and they are maybe doing a certificate or something you know just to get the, that generic job and they are happy yeah. with it uh, if if that's the thing 
I'm not sure, but uh, it looks it looks a bit like to me. You know, being a pen tester, you. I mean, yeah. What what uh, you wrote here that doing the same thing all the time gets boring. That's also something uh, that you, you know, you first think like being a pen tester is like super exciting, and you know you can just like hack everything and then do, do you know do whatever you want. It's it's not really it, it's like a repetitive thing, right? Because you can't just test for everything. You have like something, a checklist you go through or something in most cases right that you, j you just scan for and uh and that's that's it that's the, your job that you're doing so it's not really what the expectation is right right and i i feel like some people they get into the job and they find out it's different than what they thought and they might not want to do it forever yeah, yeah i i feel like most people i know just get, got into hacking because they can and not because they want to do it because they want a high paying job or something yeah, well, I yeah think I that, think. that could be an exception though because well, the, the students I meet for example in community college who are like CS majors who are interested in cybersecurity, you know they, they see themselves as either going into creating apps or something for some company in the future or going into something a little bit more exciting but they still see themselves fitting into like a like a blue team at Google or you know a, a red team or developing like a software solutions for like Cisco or something like that like they still see themselves working in a pretty traditional job role because that's what they see job security in like not everybody is going to want to go be part of a startup like a lot of people you know they just know what their parents tell them they're just you know they might not know that they're talented and they might not have developed that talent yet so they're just looking at this from the perspective of like, what is a stable job I could get if I work hard and I, you know, I know I know this stuff. So over a couple of years, if I get these certifications, like what kind of jobs could I get that are stable and like pay a good wage? Because like you mentioned, bug bounty, anybody can get into it, but it, it's not the most stable source of income. Um, yeah. Maybe I feel like in the US, this whole cybersecurity field or just hacking is way more accepted as like a normal job than it is here. Because like everything related to hacking, uh, there there is no specialized or, or very rarely specialized. Um, uh, what, what's the name for it? Studies for it. Like you can take on a university. Usually that that just does not exist. You can just go and study computer science. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but usually uh, people working in that field took other roads to get there. You know, I just. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just my perception, but I feel like just our society is not, uh, maybe that's that's the problem, you know, yeah. that in the US it's just more way more prevalent, the whole hacking thing well, in the job. Also, world. I think the people we are interacting with are not uh, those people who yeah. are do having doing like a pen test job and then they don't... Maybe, maybe, yeah, this is also generalizing a bit, but maybe people who do like a pen test job, you know, day by day, like for like, I don't know, 10 years already, they are not going to like do hacking stuff maybe in the afternoon because they are not that interested in, you know, they just do it as their job. And most of the people y y we interact with are more like people who are also doing it as their hobbies, you know, and maybe... Yeah. More of the people who are working in this general thing, are uh, they are they consider it as their job, and that's it. So it's is their job. They are not doing it as a hobby. Yeah, what I just realized: most of the people I think of, uh, at least in Germany, are usually 
somehow related to the Chaos Computer Club. And hm. that just has its own kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, mindset to it that just... I think most of those people or a lot of those work in those classical jobs, but they still got into it probably uh, and and yeah, are in the Chaos Computer Club and do these things in their free time just because they have fun doing it and not because, hey, I want a stable job. That's, yeah. yeah. And many of these people are um, that are going to traditional jobs are already in traditional jobs. So software engineers, people going into software development, like people who are training to try to be like full stack developers, like, and then you get these really long acronyms, like, uh, like DevSecOps and, and other like integrated parts of cybersecurity where you have to know development and cybersecurity in order to be in charge of that role. So there's a lot of like blended traditional roles as well for people who are going into, you know, just they're going to straight up go into programming and then be a developer and get paid by someone to develop applications. If they also were to go into security, that makes them able to go into a more niche area and make more money. So for people going into traditional computer uh, careers, the addition of security or a, certifi- a security certificate can mean the difference between making, you know, as much as the guy next to you or making, you know, 40% more. So um, that can also be a motivator for people to get into some of these more traditional roles, um, aside from just being kind of naturally talented or drawn towards this sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean... Uh, it's more like people want the job and they yeah that's what I think I, I don't know I don't really know anyone who works as a pen tester or like <laughs> does it uh, you, you know job. Foul yeah uh, he is uh, I don't know the exact name but he's studying uh, I don't know IT security something in that direction mm-hmm. and so he's he's gonna become something like this <laughs> interesting i never really i don't really know what exactly people who are doing like a pen test are doing because it's it's a bit different than how you approach something from like a bug bounty standpoint yeah that's really out of scope for this topic but it's it's just interesting that it's like pen testing something that you have like a specialized you know you have like a list of things you have to check or you have more freedom to like I think it depends. It depends on your employer. Like if you, you'll generally get things that are in and out of scope and then things that they are or are not interested in. So you, you generally don't get like full license to do whatever you want. You have to work within like a pretty narrow scope of what's acceptable and what they're willing to pay for. Yeah. I mean, same as for bug bounties, but uh, maybe they are a bit wider or like, hmm. Yeah, that's something which is interesting. I can't really talk about it because I have no idea how it works. But probably depends on the company and on the whole situation. Yeah, honestly, I met some people when I started going to school that were interested in being like a blue like blue teamers at Google, where they can think like an attacker, but they're interested in protecting services and like being creative about catching attackers. So people who want to catch attackers and like be able to defend things that they're passionate about, like they're also um, a unique group of people that get into the sorts of jobs where you know they're they want to do software development, but they also want to do it specifically to protect um, you know a, a software company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that could be interesting as well. You have to think and do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, we yeah, should so get those into are... the 
alternative sorry <laughs> no it's okay no it's good to discuss like what what kind of people get into the more traditional roles because some of these are straight up it jobs and they're you know it's it's not always like the most fun thing to do over and over and over so there are other things you can do and the first one i want to talk about um is teaching um teaching is really valuable for cy- in cybersecurity because it's essentially you know computer science or at the very least it it's hard and boring if you're not interested in it and you really have to have the right combination of skills in order to get people to listen to you and to uh, actually produce lessons that make sense and get people to be able to learn what you know so if you have the ability to connect with other people and get them to listen to you like teaching can actually be more valuable because it allows you to focus on what your interests are it allows you to connect more one-on-one with people who are super talented most of the time and most of the time and uh, really interested in the topic and uh, it also gives you a reason and an excuse to talk to a lot of people that are doing really interesting work so that you can teach other people about it Um, and i've kind of leveraged teaching in the the articles that i used to write well i still write and uh, the videos i do uh, because i love the fact that it gives me an excuse to talk to all these people who otherwise i might i might not get a chance to um, talk to and get to connect with yeah that's that's a great advantage i wasn't really yeah because if you think about the high school teacher uh yeah it's it's not really you don't really have these opportunities i think but yeah teaching is like in cyber security that can be different uh, are kids where, where are kids educated like i mean maybe it's hung in hungary there is nothing for kids in cyber security field Uh, Israel has a really intense pro- like process where in schools they integrate cybersecurity and kids that start to gravitate toward it towards it are given special attention they're given special training and that's why they have one of the strongest cybersecurity industries in the world is because from a very early age they're identifying you know people that are talented at this and then giving them additional education so oh. it's cool because it fosters a really strong um, industry in their country and also it means that people early on are aware of all the different things they can go into in cybersecurity aside from you know just the traditional roles that they could use that for the whole school system that they identify really? I mean no no it, it, I'm just talking about that they identify that people who are skilled in one one I, I don't know one thing and they are you uh, just giving them more listen from that. to our education episode yeah <laughs> yeah we just yeah. talked about that that you should be like a bit more i don't know if, i'm just not gonna get into the education thing but this is a great thing that they identify if someone is interested and if they they are great then they are putting more um guys totally off topic i don't know who which neighbor it is but they are knocking on the door like crazy so uh I hope you can get this out of the audio later, David, but uh, I think it not, would be interesting for for the audience uh if there are weird noises in the background that's my the FBI. sorry that's he the wants, FBI. Yeah. He wants to go he wants to get in, in or why, why is he knocking i have no 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 no, I don't know they are probably trying to hammer some nails or whatever oh, I, I, thought, I have no I thought idea. he's knocking on your door, okay, yeah, no. I, I, I yes, only hear the knocking sound. I don't know what exactly they are oh, beating I up there. <laughs> the neighbor is knocking on your door. I, I didn't understand why. <laughs> that, that would be weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, teaching, uh, giving excuses. Uh, by the way, uh, that's also why I went to 
are like three maker spaces now, uh, three um, maker fairs, sorry, in a row, just to get uh, ideas of how do other people approach building hacker spaces maker spaces teaching other people you know they have a lot of stuff for kids there and it's just uh it's a good excuse if you try to get into that field uh and yeah i i think it's worth it even if you don't but sometimes motivation is lacking so <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a good point and yeah another thing to, to bring up as well is um most people want to have some sort of passive income uh you know they don't want to work all the time and have all of their income tied to how much they're working. It means if you stop working, you stop making money. And in most countries, that's not an acceptable condition because you you can't survive without money. So uh, passive income is something that's really, really helpful. And if you're getting into teaching, you can do things like have online episodes on like Udemy or, you know, Cybrary or, or other platforms that allow you to earn income when people pay to take your lessons. So if you become a good teacher and you, you practice enough that you are good at presenting, you can also take advantage of ways to make money even when you're not working. Uh, and that's something that, that not everybody gets to do. So teaching could actually be a better way to make money than, you know, spending all of your time like doing a nine to five job if this is something that you're talented at and gravitate towards and enjoy and and can kind of work with because in the end you can have something that earns money even when you know you're on vacation um and that's kind of the the goal for a lot of these things to be more financially independent um and work less uh so that you can spend time on something that's going to be valuable people can purchase it and you don't need to sit there and tie all of your time to going out and doing this one job hmm yeah yeah yeah, with the courses, that would be possible. Hmm. A passive income is not really, it's hard in cybersecurity, I think. But the, it is. the, co the courses uh, are like creating like teaching material is one. But I can't really think of any anything else at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things like, uh, yeah, I, I won't go too much into just like like Wait. little offshoots. But, uh, David, huh? didn't you get invited to do a course on... Uh, what oh, was yeah. it? Bots? <clears throat> Writing On bots and fighting? Chatbot. Yeah, it was like... Uh, I'm not sure if I can... I probably can talk about it. It was like a packed book thing. You know, they make books. Uh, <clears throat> they produce books by people. I don't know. They just ask people who have the... I, I guess the LinkedIn skill. And then they ask them to make a book and then they check it. And if it's great, then they publish it. And I had, I had the same thing that uh, they messaged me on LinkedIn to make a book about writing a chatbot in Python because I made the chatbot. Mm. But uh, I the, don't know. The chatbot uh, with the time schedules of the... Uh, of the uh, buses here in yeah. the city. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I made I made like a chatbot a few years ago for the city here uh, where you can ask when the buses are going in on Facebook Messenger. So yeah, uh, the they asked me to write like some kind of book about writing chatbots in Python, but I think they didn't really catch what I was doing and what I didn't even know they understand what they wanted. It was a weird thing, but uh, nevertheless, if if you actually write a book, uh, you can definitely make money because people are going to buy it. So that's a win-win, and you know you only have to write it once. So that is a uh, that is passive income, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <clears throat> uh, 
And like the last thing I'll mention is our school um, has agreements with some other schools in the area where students um, from our school will go out and teach sometimes uh, just science, but other times cybersecurity concepts to like grade schools. And the reason they do that is because these schools have grants to teach about um, computer science and all these other things. And a lot of the time the teachers don't know how to spend it. So there's a lot of outreach that goes on where you can just go out and I'm teaching something on basic OSINT, um, how to do recon. Uh, but I'm teaching it in the form of like how to do research on Google using like search operators and teaching kids like the correct way to find information and verify information um, to just kind of lay the foundation. A lot of those skills can be translated to teaching about other things that tie into cybersecurity. So there's there's other ways you can kind of uh, teach cyber in ways that like don't always um, aren't quite linear like you know uh, you think that like research is is separate but a lot of the same skills that you would use in cybersecurity, you could turn around and teach a different group of people for example like businesses constantly need to do research and most of them are terrible at it so when i show them some of the the recon tools that i use when i'm you know teaching about cybersecurity or doing uh, like something cybersecurity related they freak out because it's super useful for them so that's a, another thing you can do so the next thing I wanted to mention was if you get really, really good at a specific thing, uh, and let's say that you're fascinated, I, I really like this example because it's real, uh, let's say you're fascinated with locks and lock picking. Uh, we had a presenter named Datagram, who does a lot of these sorts of presentations, you can look them up on YouTube, uh, come and do a presentation at our school where he taught students about forensic lockpicking, the way lockpicking works, and what his job actually is, is as a consultant. Like, he is just a huge nerd for locks. He loves lockpicking and the way that all of it works. So because he knows so much about it, he gives details and information on like, you know, was this lock picked? What tool did they use for investigators who are working on crimes, private investigators? Um, and they'll even like do like testimony in cases where somebody needs an expert to come in and explain like, okay, there's scratches on these pins. Like that means that this lock was picked and we can prove it because of this. So um, if you are an expert on something, but let's say that you're just a huge nerd for this one particular thing. If there is a group of people that need to know about that thing, being a consultant means that you can be a specialist, you can come in, you can do the thing you're passionate about, and you can benefit companies in a way that maybe isn't on a permanent basis. So you could be, again, a consultant. You come in and fix stuff and make things better than when when you found it. Um, and people can make a lot of money doing that, depending on what that thing is that you become a specialist on. Yeah, I also thought consulting is something where you just go into a company and then work there nine to five and I don't know, give advice on the security. <laughs> but yeah, this lock, lock picking <laughs> lock picking thing is uh is different. It's like a free freelancing consulting. Yeah. Yeah, so consulting takes all kinds of different forms. I mean, there's generalist consultants who, like you said, could just walk in on a business and give general security advice. And then there's specialist consultants that might be really into, like, for example, um, if you're dealing with businesses who are working with ESP 8266s and ESP 32s, there's one person I could probably recommend who knows about the way that those devices work, where if these people are just using them as a platform and don't really understand that, there's a specialist who could probably come in and tell them about the way that they operate. Uh, that person would be extremely valuable for that business who's now working with this product they might not otherwise understand and don't have the internal resources to deal with. So a lot of the time, that's the case when a, a consultant would come in. Um, you know, It could be something like, we're having this problem with Wi-Fi where we think we're being attacked and we our IT people can't figure it out. Can you come in and tell us what... We don't know the first place to start. 
And you would come in, figure out, you know, what's going on, do your investigation or whatever it is that they asked of you, submit a report for them to do whatever action they want to take, and then you're off into the sunset onto the next interesting job. Um, sometimes those sort of consultant jobs can be like bug bounty um, sort of work, less stable. But at the same time, if you're working with a larger company that's like assigning you to these things, or if you're a well-known specialist that works on a particular type of hardware or a particular type of thing, then you know you can get a wide variety of work just because you know you're that guy that's that's you know the 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 Bluetooth rocket like pack guy or whatever whatever thing it is that you designed like that people know you for like you can be a specialist in that thing and have a whole job around being a specialist in that thing like uh, an example that comes to mind is uh, mike bazell is uh, the osint guy like he trains um like people in like government jobs like the fbi and and police agencies and stuff like that on how to do osint and he also has a really successful series of books and website where he is just you know teaching about this thing that he loves but on the side, he also does consulting. So if you have a really difficult thing, you can have him come in and apply all these skills. You don't have to sit there and, and you know learn how to fish. You can just have the the fish the fisherman himself come in, reel in your big fish. You cut him a big check, and he goes off back to doing that thing that he does. So you know uh, a lot of the time, like if you have somebody who's interested in retaining your services, and you hold yourself out there as, hey, you know I'm a specialist a specialist at this thing. This is what it's useful for. This is how you contact me. You know, you can get a job where, you know, a business needs you for a specific thing. And you might not be, you know, a, a traditional employee. You might not have finished college. You might not have had, you know, some other thing that would make you able to compete with people who are traditional candidates. But because they need someone with the skill set and you are that guy, that makes you employable. And that makes you someone who can make money in this field. Yeah, I, that's interesting. First I totally have, I think, is that, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, th I think that if you know something, other people could also learn it, you know. Because, I, for example, if I learn something, I learn it from the internet and other people could also learn it. But in some cases, the company is uh, better off hiring someone who already learned something than wasting their resources on learning it. Or like, you know using their IT stuff, uh, team to, you know, figure out the security problem. So, I mean, they could definitely do it if they want to, but they are just, it is just easier to hire someone who already has the experience. And it's interesting right. because I, I would think that, you know, why would anyone hire someone? Because you can just, I don't know, you can also get the information, but most of the time it it, it is not like that. It's yeah, often a uh, big big topics uh, and there are big topics that's not a good choice of words but uh, complicated things where an expert can give a lot of detailed explanations to a problem where a other employee that maybe just does the research uh, himself would maybe find out or maybe solve the same problem depending on what it is but still an expert could get it done much quicker and much more precise like an expert can see uh the problem on on multiple levels meanwhile a beginner would just see the obvious thing that he just learned and yeah. it's less risky you spend more money up front to make sure you don't spend more money cleaning up a mess that a beginner might make a mistake and cause uh, an even bigger problem yeah exactly what if the beginner thinks 
uh, oh, this is the problem. We're just gonna change this one thing and then everything is fine and he goes back to work. And then six months later, they find out that they just implemented a huge bug and everything is broken and now their factory burns down. <laughs> well, but but here's the thing. If it's a niche enough problem, that beginner could be, you know, a guy that's worked in IT for 30 years and is a, a total expert at like, everything that he does. He just doesn't have any domain knowledge in the specific topic. So in this one thing, he's a beginner. Yeah. Hmm. <coughs> so... Sorry. Unless you guys have any more thoughts about that one, I wanted to introduce an, another way that you can make money in cybersecurity, which is a little bit unique, but it's also cool because uh, we have some people that we know that actually do this. So We do? <laughs> yes, we do. So everybody no from YouTubers like Satanic all the way up to Hack5 make money by selling hardware. And the way they do it is different because some people like Hack5 will actually go through the trouble of designing their own products from the ground up, managing their own distribution, and like doing things very, very hands-on so that they it is their business. While other people will strike up an affiliate deal where they make a certain percentage and somebody else actually takes care of a lot of the work. So depending on what your situation is and what kind of things you are doing, creating a hardware platform where people can basically buy whatever your project is can be a way of making additional money and letting people support you in a way that's really gratifying and really easy for them to do. You know, asking people to donate to you on Patreon is difficult because then you have to provide specific stuff for them to keep them donating. Like if you're not providing stuff for your Patreon people, it's difficult to maintain like a very large Patreon um, audience. And when that dwindles, you don't make as much money. So another way you can do that is to supplement it again with some sup um, some income that's passive. It doesn't involve you having to work all the time. And if you have a project that can be packed up into a hardware solution, then partnering with someone else who is able to create it, if you don't have the capability of doing it yourself, can be something that makes you money. Now, you can actually even take a step back. And if you don't even want to do that, you can put together, for example, a tutorial that has everything that you know people need packaged into an Amazon affiliate link or something like that. And still, if your stuff is popular enough, start making extra money by people buying the stuff that's needed in order to follow along with your project. So there's a lot of different ways that you can use people purchasing stuff to make money. And, and another example I'll give is with Amazon affiliate links, if somebody reads your your article or whatever it is that they're they're reading or watching in order to want to follow along with your project, they click on Amazon and then they buy something. To they buy a mattress or like something <laughs> weird. Yeah. The fact that they went to Amazon with your affiliate link still means that you make money on that purchase. So having people going through this link and then purchasing things is just going to start earning you money in the long run. So it's not going to probably pay your rent like anytime soon. But if you just consider these little sources of income that can combine start to make more money, uh, depending on what thing you are doing and trying to make hardware, if it's not useful, people won't buy it. That's kind of a rule of thumb. But if you can make something that is useful, it's a way that you can make more money than just uh, relying on any one of these methods by itself. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, Satonic started with just putting uh, affiliate links in the video description. And when he started doing the Malduino, he didn't think of uh, this whole thing blowing up as much as it did. He started the Indiegogo with a goal of 500 pounds. And at the end, he got like 20,000. Uh, really <laughs> yeah. crazy. 
uh, and now he's even uh, he even created his own shop selling other people's hacker gear so this is like full blown uh, development here from just a student doing nothing starting YouTube st starting earning a bit with affiliate links then making his own hardware and then even going on creating his own shop to to resell yeah I think I think a similar cool. story uh, is the the Hack Five story is very similar, right? Uh, Hack Five started out as a podcast, yet as of last year, they now consider themselves to be a hardware company because they make the majority of their money through hardware and not through advertising on their content anymore. Oh, so yeah, but they they also did the how did they make their first R Rubber Ducky was the first hardware thing they made. Yeah, so I believe that Darren was working on another project that evolved into the Rubber Ducky, but they slowly started introducing it into their videos and realized that people would want to buy it. And once it blew up, they started looking more seriously at producing hardware rather than focusing on just producing content because they just weren't seeing the same amount of money for what they were putting into it. Yeah. But they are they are still doing the, the ads, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's their bread and butter. It's the way that they've made yeah, money since yeah. they started. But all this hardware stuff means that they're just on a whole new level now when it comes to not being tied down yeah. to producing content all the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff now. They're making, like, really cool things. That's just something, you know, I think what they are trying to do are, like, things that you can't really make it for yourself that easily. So, like, these new hardware things they made... They are pretty cool, and you can yeah. just kind of want to buy it because it's already made, and you don't have it's to. Just, make. It's just convenience, and a lot of these hacking gadgets, uh, they implement kind of complicated attacks that are not that easy to recreate. I mean, if you know all the hardware stuff, maybe you can figure it out. Yeah, but, but it's still um, a lot of time. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, that's a great thing to think about if you want to do something like this. That. Uh, Think about something which is like difficult to do, you know, and hard, like what Hack Five is doing, and make it into hardware, and the people uh, will want to buy it because oh. you know they need something easy. So the warnings I would give about this, though, and this is from multiple people, are that the the more personal you get into producing hardware, like the more you're, that process you own, the harder it gets. Um, dealing with export, dealing with uh, FCC compliance, like if you're creating a product from the ground up you're gonna have a hard time. Uh, it's just, it's more difficult. But if you're partnering with someone else to produce the product, or if you're doing an affiliate sales sort of agreement, that can be simple enough for even beginners to get started with. I just don't recommend, like, don't take what I'm saying to mean, like, go produce a product from the ground up right now and try to manufacture and sell it. Do not do that. Um, do affiliate sales first. And if you can see that people are buying from you, then do that. Uh, because otherwise, you know, it can be, a lot of investment to to go and try to actually produce a product by yourself that's your idea exclusively um so just be aware of that of course you get a much higher return but you have to have the the money and time to invest first yeah so yeah. um me and satonic we sell or like his malduino and my the offer boards uh, those are sold as development boards so they don't at least here they don't require certification um, because yeah they are just development tools like there are a few exceptions that don't need to be certified and those are that that's one exception 
and uh, makes everything much easier. Of course, Ooh. this then is not as a professional tool because a professional tool is usually, you know, it has a nice enclosure. It, it, it comes with proper packaging and a manual. And of course, it's certified and tested and so on. And uh, <laughs> the, the hardware Travis made, makes for me is it's not, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter because the whole point of it is that you can put your own code on there and it's still a nice board where you can yeah do other projects with as well and the whole thing is open source and that stuff so that's another direction you can take so that you save the whole hassle with fcc and yes how hard is it to certify something or what do you think oh it's insane it's insane in the united states it's crazy um if you're trying to do like a full-on in like thing that's using radio modules or anything like that you get away with the development boards because they have pre-certified um like esp8266 modules that already have an fcc stamp on them and a number so if you're using those radio modules generally you don't need to get it specifically certified but if you're trying to do anything like hack 5 is just having um fun with the fcc and was uh you know trying to trying to get like a small radio module like approved by the fcc requires like filing paperwork filing internal photos filing teardown photos, filing like all this, like this testing data, you have to spend like tons of money on these like ridiculous tests. It's just like a lot of work. You, you have to be a business in order to try to get something created um, that doesn't use like a pre-certified module. I, I saw something, I think I searched for something uh, with the FCC ID and uh, there were like so many pictures, you know, and everything. And they also measured somehow the RF exposure in like a room where they put the board in the middle and they just kind of measured what the... It's very expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive room. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that you can do that at home. But funny, funny enough, uh, I don't know, stuff you buy from... Banggood and AliExpress has the QC sticker on it and like a certified sticker on it. Yeah, and QC is the Chinese thing. I'm, I'm not sure if that's worth anything. But what, what is it? Because I think it's just, they just buy the sticker. Or Yeah, yeah, sure they <laughs> yeah do. a lot of the yeah. times they do, especially in China. <laughs> I mean, the QC passed and you plug it in and it's just not working. And, but uh, I, I'm not sure, but I think the QC, and Isn't really correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, the QC is a Chinese certification and it's probably not hard to get. It does not compare with like FCC or CE. Isn't it just quality control? So you can put it on anything you 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 do quality control on? I, I have no idea. Yeah. But it's probably something you don't want to rely on. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a lot of stuff <laughs> that just, just don't work. But yeah, for for example, for the D offer, would it be how hard would it be to get like get it like uh, I don't know verified by the FCC or something? Um, or it would. I, it would be. be I, I think I believe it would be pretty hard because. Um, also, how do you, you explain need, the deal thing? Yeah, yeah exactly. You need like a, a finished product. So the finished product would be the deal offer. And then obviously they're going to ask questions because <laughs> this is pretty much gray area here. And um, yeah, as of right now, it's just a development board. You can put up any code you want there and it just has, it just comes pre-flashed. Yeah. 
So that kind of fixes the whole problem. But as a product, <laughs> I'm 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 not sure if it can even get certified. I mean, yeah. So that's a, that's actually a good point because like you you're man through the, that way of doing it, you're managing to avoid a lot of the expense and a lot of the risk that the, just going into it headlong without knowing about those issues would probably not not understand. Yeah, but. Uh... For example, hack fives stuff. They they you know you could consider them also as like uh, yeah, these products okay. you can use for really but, not legal stuff. Uh, but they are uh, marketed as pen testing equipment, so they are meant for those yeah, jobs yeah, yeah. we we were actually talking about before we got a bit off topic here. Oh, <laughs> I think I think we are still on topic, but hey, it's still on topic. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, those those are marketed for these professionals. So obviously you could do some black hat stuff with them, but that doesn't mean they are illegal in that way. And right. since can. they are general pen testing tools, um, you can do a, a lot of different things with them. Meanwhile, the de-offer when it comes with that software can only really be used to annoy people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But you, you, I mean, the rubber ducky, you can only use it for writing stuff. But that's, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what, what can you market as a like marketing yeah, look, as a. Look, the the offer, same thing would apply. Obviously, and I, I said it, and in, in the past, you you can use this for pen testing. You should use this for yeah, testing I mean. and learning and everything. You shouldn't use this to go out and uh, de off your school network. But obviously, I know there are a lot of people doing that, and yeah, I, I mean, I I can't do anything about that. But still, I have my um um. Yeah, my my reason, my intention with this project is still to get attention on these uh, on these security issues that are in these yeah regular use like in Wi-Fi and other just common day technology we use and no one's ever thinking of these yeah security of these vulnerabilities everywhere and this is a way of creating a lot of. Um, attention on the issue so that's that's why i put it online in the first place and obviously this is a gray area but i still believe it's the, the right thing this exists and a lot of people use it to to learn i know so many people that learned stuff with it but yeah i'm not sure if that argument goes off very well with the fcc and stuff meanwhile the <laughs> hack five uh hack five stuff is more of a professional tool for like really useful for pen testers obviously the, the offer can also be useful for pen testers it is also very useful for police and stuff because they can turn off cheap ip cameras with this that use wi-fi and there are a lot of cheap ip cameras that use wi-fi um or for yeah. example uh hand terminals to read credit cards <laughs> and other <laughs> stuff um yeah so this this can be useful but yeah, it's, I'm not it's, sure. It's hard to explain. Yeah, also selling them is a bit. Hmm. Yeah, I don't want to get into this. Yeah. Uh, I'm fine with how things are set up right now. I don't want to go on the hack five level. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to the next one, which is creating. Well, actually, it's one thing all of us have in common, and that's creating content. So hacking and cybersecurity and infosec has one thing that it's kind of traditionally bad at, and that is producing good content. If you can make something that is not 
super loud techno music and then somebody typing into a terminal <laughs> to explain what they're doing uh, or otherwise just like isn't like screaming with a very thick accent you can get a lot of attention simply because you're communicating information in a way people under can understand literally i think the reason why our channel on null Byte started getting attention and starting getting so much uh so many views early on was because there was simply such such uh poor quality content out there um as an alternative that we really only had like three or four other channels to even draw from it as an example of what good content looked like. So uh, there's definitely a, a niche for people who can make this sort of stuff interesting, people with cool projects, people who can uh, introduce others that are working on cool projects. I mean, literally, if you have a great personality, you love cybersecurity, and you know enough about it to like look into these people's projects and properly represent them, you know, you can be a host that like brings in people who are you know wanting to show off their project and you know give them the attention that they need in order to be successful or that they should be getting. So you know, I really, I, I think that. For me, anyway, producing contest ha content has given me a way to give back to people that I yeah, want yeah. to show off to the rest of the world. So if I'm like, hey, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, do you mind if I show you know, like a bunch of people all this amazing stuff you're working on with no recognition? Um, sometimes it's cool to just be able to, to you know, uh, highlight somebody else rather than making the attention be on me. So even if you're not someone that sees themselves as producing educational content, you can still produce like entertainment content that's based around cybersecurity and still has like a positive impact and and you can make money doing it. Yeah. And definitely like when the new there was the new byte article about the uh, MITM uh, the meetmap <laughs> my tool uh, that uh, it was also pretty cool, you know, that y y when you guys feature it me or anyone whose project is featured they get a lot of attention and that's great for everyone because the people who are writing the article or making the video you are getting you know great content and the people who are making the tools are getting uh attention so it's it's, it's a really cool combination i feel like there is a huge market for both the educational but also the more of entertaining um content about it security like there is not a lot there is definitely not a lot there is there there is but it's not enough there is there's a huge market gap here and uh yeah will be interesting to see what new channels and content providers will pop up in the next years yeah um one thing i really enjoyed also is when i got into creating content it put me into touch with different people so if you're just a security researcher, you're looking at, you know, pen testers, researchers, people who are working on their own projects. You don't get to meet um, journalists or people that are into marketing or advertising or like all this other kinds of stuff that still is in cybersecurity and is really important, um, but is not, again, one of these traditional career paths. So when I go to conventions, because I have a channel and I'm a writer and I have content published, I get a press pass. And that means like a lot of the time I get in for free. So I get to go to more conventions and I get to meet more people because of the content I create. But also when I'm in the press room, I'm talking to, you know, press from Wired. I'm talking to press from Motherboard and like um, 
all these other like publications that are journalists, like these are writers, these are people who are content creators, and they might not be the best at cybersecurity, you know, like they, they might not be able to go in there and write a program in Python to, to do anything of importance, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They have a different skill set. They are, they are good at communicating what people like, like sometimes like us do in our projects and explaining it to regular people and getting them to value us. And that is really, really important for our image, for our projects, for our you know acceptance in society, for people to understand what and and really care about what we do and who we are. If we don't have those people who are taking the time to understand our projects and communicating them for everyone else, we really would have a difficult time getting across what it is that we do. So um, it's really cool to me that there's you know you can be a journalist if you're interested in cybersecurity and you don't have to be a computer scientist. It definitely helps because it, it lets you understand more and you should always be pushing yourself. I feel like to to learn more about the topics you're covering. But if you want to write about this sort of stuff and you don't necessarily want to participate all the time, you know you're still going to need to know how to do recon. You're still going to need to know how to you know chase down leads and do research. But it doesn't mean you need to be an offensive you know penetration tester to be in cybersecurity. You don't have to you know have all these hard technical skills because we need you if you're an amazing writer and you're willing to take the time to sit down and learn how our tools work and how our projects work Hmm. yeah yeah definitely there is there is a lot of uh, i don't know need for these people who create content because most of the people who are in cyber security i would say they are really the technical people or at least that's how it started you know and uh yeah it's pretty hard to just like do the technical stuff and also make content so people who are technical try not to uh i don't know make uh they 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 really have a hard time making content as well as doing doing uh yeah <laughs> yeah and uh one last thing that i thought of as well is uh when you're talking about creating content there's lots of people who get into creating content and don't really know what the next step is. But um, there was an example that I really like that was a guy who was making um, stuff that was really useful for bug bounty people. Um, he had a YouTube channel, and I, I'm blocking on the name, but I believe it was either Bug Crowd, I think it was Bug Crowd or Hacker One, just straight up bought out his company. Um, they were like, you produce amazing content. We need to we need to produce a series that trains people on how to go out and do this thing that, you know, we make money when people do. So we want to hire, basically buy all your content and then hire you to develop content for us. So some of these big, big companies, you know, they need to train people. They need to train their internal employees. They need to train people like for Hacker One or Bug Crowd that are going to be going and, and using these basic fundamental skills to poke holes in security and, and make money. So, you know, if you are Bug Crowd and you're smart and you have some of the best content out there for learning how to hunt down bugs, you're going to make more money. <laughs> so for yeah. those people, you would be super valuable as a content creator. Oh, my God. Um Again, thank you for reminding me how important this field is. Uh, because again, uh, at least in my my perception, here there is no real uh, like classical way of getting into cybersecurity or anything like that. And I will um, pretty much most of what we talked about today, I will probably use that as arguments to get. Um, Okay, this this goes a bit off topic, but to get funding for for our hackerspace, like <laughs> these these are like 
quality arguments to convince these, uh, yeah, people that worked in in their whole life in like these classical, yeah, uh, computer science jobs, you know. But they forget how important it is to train people for this, uh, for cybersecurity and everything that relates to it. And it doesn't have to be just that. You just you don't have to become uh, a hacker like a like a full time pen tester or whatever. Uh, you can just combine it with other stuff or just do research, become a journalist, whatever. But we have to create more. Uh, ways to get people into that field and I feel like uh, yeah things like a hackerspace is a good a good place to start getting more people interested and just share the knowledge yeah Definitely. I mean if you think think about it background and the hacker one they they really have to they, they rely on people having skills so they creating content that you know uh, people can learn about is one of their most priorities actually yeah, i feel like i feel like in in uh, the online world uh the um it's much more prevalent but in in the real in real life at least here i feel like no one cares about cyber security huh. yeah it's not they don't really yeah if like hacker one uh back crowd obviously the, they are there they have a huge influence but locally here in a small city it's like there is nothing uh, that goes into that direction of uh, cybersecurity. No, no effort. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to. I mean, you're not gonna really get a job in the city. It's not really common. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, we have to start making this more of a um, yeah general topic people talk about and just more more known yeah, i mean the whole thing is gonna get just bigger and bigger because look how technology is evolving yeah. with all uh, but, everything but we is... are not keep i feel like we are not keeping up with security no I mean, obviously you can you can <clears throat> see it everywhere yeah they, but... definitely not but it, it is really important maybe people really don't value don't give it enough value because everything is now technical and and you need security yeah. Well, that actually segues perfectly into our last topic. Uh, well, our last different way you can make money, which is the fact that literally everything it now involves some sort of cybersecurity. Because even if you're a business that has nothing to do with offering computer services, you're going to have things like a, you know administrative backends. You're going to have portals for your customers to access. Like you're going to have electronic records that are vulnerable to things like ransomware. In order to have a business, like you need to know at least a little bit about cybersecurity. Like why you pick a secure password or things like that. So when I went to the RSA convention, uh, it was amazing because nobody was like me. Everybody was a business person. Um, it was one of the biggest cybersecurity conferences in the United States. And the majority of people there were not computer scientists. They did not understand the intricacies of why like a specific tool does a specific thing. They were business people. Some of them, you know, are entrepreneurs, some of them are executives, but they're people who make the financial decisions about cybersecurity. And they are everybody from like salespeople, advertising people, marketing people, the people who are managing everyone, project managers, uh, like everyone who actually runs the businesses behind these. Because if you look at a cybersecurity business or a business that has some sort of cybersecurity product, you got the developers 
and then you have everybody else. And everybody else is a ton of people in a functioning business because you have to basically have everybody from the very top of the business down to the bottom understand what the hell your company does. So if you don't have any sort of interest in cybersecurity and you're working at Rapid7 or McAfee or something like that, and you you don't know what the hell your company's product does or why it's useful, you're not you're not a useful employee. <laughs> And you could be replaced with someone who could explain the product better, understand the product better, or be a better problem solver because they understand the industry more. So a lot of jobs in cybersecurity have nothing to do with practicing cybersecurity. It has to do with making good decisions about business while knowing enough about the cybersecurity industry and what, what the current situation is to guide a business through that process. So there's tons of people who go into law who end up specializing in cybersecurity because it is just one of those things where, you know, you are needed. Most lawyers don't know enough about technology to really be effective at those sorts of cases. So there's a lot of business skills or kind of traditional other trades that um, when applied to businesses and when you add cybersecurity to that, suddenly you're not, you're not a pen tester, but you're doing cyber law. And those sorts of things can make a, a lot of money, like way, sometimes a lot more than just doing kind of the traditional, what you would think of as cybersecurity. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a demand for that. Absolutely. Or like, I mean, there are not a lot of people doing it, but basically, yeah, very few people. Yeah, if you can get on a phone call with an executive and explain to them succinctly in a way that makes sense why they need some sort of cybersecurity with their product, you can make so much money in sales that you could retire <laughs> like very, very early. <laughs> uh, because it, it, frankly, it's just difficult to do. Most people aren't passionate about it. They're just there for the paycheck. And when you have a product that's complicated or abstracted, trying to get people to understand how it works is hard. It's really difficult. You have to spend a lot of money for those people. So usually those sorts of, you know, if it's a sales job, it'll be commission-based. And if you're selling like a million-dollar product, like that, that's that's honestly the fastest way to making money in cybersecurity. If you're working in cybersecurity and selling cybersecurity products or marketing cybersecurity products, like you're honestly going to be making more money than the people who are developing them. And which is kind of weird to think about. But when I was looking at the people at RSA who had the money and were in the suits and were in charge of the businesses and obviously were the ones who were receiving the wealth, they were not pen testers. They just yeah. they weren't, you know? They were the people who they were project managers who had enough of a background in security to manage groups of people who were working on cybersecurity projects. Could they manage those projects themselves individually? No, it's not their background. They're, um, they're organizational people. They're people who go into uh, operations. So if you are good at solving problems, if you're good at organizing teams of people, um, if you're good at communicating the value of, uh, of a product, like cybersecurity desperately needs you and will probably pay you more than most other industries, which is an interesting thing to think about. So if you're deep in your marketing degree, if you are in the middle of your law degree, but you've always wanted to do cybersecurity, again, you don't need to be a computer scientist. Your interest alone will give you an advantage over other people who have to do the work but aren't really interested in it. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. That, that reminds me of those smart light bulbs I'm currently testing. 
They they definitely did not have anyone look over their product. I mean, jeez, <laughs> the security is terrible, and those products are everywhere. It's not only the smart light bulbs; it's like all those smart home gadgets. Like, oh my god! And those are huge companies that have a lot of money. I'm I'm not only talking about those weird Chinese gadgets. I'm talking about like classical, like I don't know, TP-Link is making smart light bulbs, uh, or or other companies that are usually known for like classical electronic devices that now start producing these smart home gadgets and do not do not think about security at all yeah it's hard to yeah so security it's needed everywhere yeah, yeah. everybody is trying to integrate technology but because the you know, not everybody knows about this sort of things. Just having a background in some sort of cybersecurity can really help you. But even if you don't, getting involved and using those skills to help a business that's doing cybersecurity can be a good start. So again, if you're an amazing receptionist and you've always wanted to be involved in cybersecurity, there's companies that are cybersecurity companies that need receptionists who are you know passionate about that sort of thing. But you know, there's not a lot of computer scientists that are going to work as a receptionist. So if you want to be on a team that's doing cybersecurity stuff and work it up through the company, that could be a role where you could get in and start making you know more money because you know a traditional secretary probably isn't going to know what a lot of these terms mean or be able to help someone that's calling uh, and has those sorts of questions yeah yeah definitely there is a need for any anyone with interest so then sales and business that's something where if you are an entrepreneur if it's if you have a an interest in problem solving that's not just kind of computer science related or honestly again if you just suck at math that's something where you can apply people skills or organizational skills or um, you know even if you're in your second career and you want to get into cybersecurity you can leverage the stuff you already know that will make you give you an advantage in cybersecurity because you know it's just such a big field. Everybody's a beginner at, at, at something. There's nobody that knows everything. So if you come into the game with some skills that differentiate you from other people, just find the place where those skills are useful and you can make, you can make a good amount of money. But outside of those kind of tra- traditional roles, there's also kind of more contractor gigs, like as though you're working for Uber or Lyft or something and you just kind of drive when you have time and you know make money when you can and that's more like bug bounty uh work where you're taking on individual little little projects and then sometimes it pans out sometimes it doesn't but if it does then you can get a pretty good paycheck so while those aren't exactly you know traditional nine to five jobs where you can expect the same amount of money if you put the same amount of time in there's still a great way for you know smart creative people to get started legitimately making money for hacking stuff and exercising their skills yeah yeah definitely so it's it's i guess it's my part here uh <laughs> that uh this is definitely one option to consider as well as all of the other ones we talked about but it's a bit uh different i would say because it's more of like yeah it's more like something that you do on the side but still in at the same time you don't really <clears throat> you shouldn't really just do it on the side because you're not gonna be yeah, it's a tricky question uh, because uh, uh, you can't really do bug bounty just a few hours a week, you know, that, oh, yeah, I'm just going to maybe do one hour of bug bounty a week because you're not going to do not going to find anything. You, if you want to do it, I don't know, successfully, you have to put a lot of work into it, uh, not just by actually doing the bug bounty, but also, you know, learning about a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, so it's, 
it's definitely time consuming and and uh, and it takes a lot of work, but it's still it's still something that is not a not like a real job where you have a stable income, but you can definitely make it work. But uh, so first of all, for the bug bounty, uh, if someone is not really familiar with it, like it, it almost all big companies nowadays have a bug bounty program. It's about if you find like a, a security issue, you know, you just report them, uh, report the issue to them, and they pay you money uh, most of the time. And I have to put the most of the time here because uh, you, you can't be sure about it. That's the thing with bug bounty. With other jobs and stuff we talked about, you you have a steady job and you have something you know which is uh, reliable most of the time. But he, this is you, you just you, you can't you don't know you don't know for sure, and uh, it it can come out in a lot of ways. So for example, you report a bug and it it just doesn't get uh, you know maybe they don't respond. Maybe they have. You have to wait like months to for the company to respond, or uh, maybe even if the company responds, then maybe they think, "Oh yeah, this is not a bug. This is like a not a feature, but this is something that uh, that is known." And they just you know say, "Oh yeah, sorry, this is not a bug," and bye bye. And you maybe work like I don't know a week or like a month on this bug, and then they just say like, "Oh yeah, sorry." So this this stuff can definitely happen but if you're willing to put up with this and live with the i don't know live with the risks of it then it can definitely be super cool because uh if you find an actual bug then you can make a lot of money and of course depends on the bug but uh you can you can really i don't know really depends on a lot of things but you can make a living out of it if you if you really really want to do it but uh it will be really hard but Mm. i i think i think the best way to go for this or this is just my opinion is to do bug bounty but still have something stable to fall back on so you don't have this really i don't know constant mental challenge that you have to work all the time and you are stressing about your reports not getting answered and all of that so if you just kind of have a stable uh, income and also bug bounty then you can you can not stress about this stuff and uh, yeah i think also if you just ignore the whole money part think about it you can hack big companies legally and they will they will uh Thank you, and they will put you on the leaderboard, which is also something super cool. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is like really summarized. I don't know if how you guys understand it because I, I talk about it because I'm involved in it. I I don't really explain it, but I I think it's not that complicated of a concept. I mean, or or do you guys have something that you? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We should talk about uh, bug bounty in another episode, where you could maybe explain how you how you even approach finding a bug or something yeah. like more technical, if that's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would be cool to actually hear like what it was like or what a beginner their first like bug bounty would be like, even if it's not necessarily successful. Like how they would get started, like taking on their first one if they never tried it before and we're maybe just working off of a tutorial for a simple cross-site scripting attack or something like that yeah yeah the, we, we could definitely do something like that because 
it's hard to talk about it because you can't really yeah we could we could do something and uh yeah it's hard for beginners to get to understand the whole concept i was i was in the same shoes i guess uh because you i kind of read about like xss and like i don't know ssrf and all of these bugs you know you have in the ovasp top 10 and then just you know you read all of it and like okay fine but how do i how do i get started and that's a great that's a great question you could make another video about that yeah that's also that's also true hmm we we can just slide into the other section, the updates section, if we are. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, whoa, I'm getting better with the segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, I, I just uploaded my first ever YouTube video. Uh, it's YouTube, youtube.com slash, is it slash user slash? And uh, um, just search do you, for do you have it? Do you have the name reserved? Like, does it I work? I did, I did, I did. Yeah. Well, then it should work. Like youtubecom slash Nope, nope, nope. Uh, let me just try. That works. Okay. Well, because it should work. It should work. Yeah, it works. Uh, so it's youtubecom slash who It's not a surprise. I have who everywhere. Uh, and um, yes. Uh, this is about my f- doing my first ever talk at B-Sides Booth because I just did... We didn't really talk about it in the podcast. No, we, we talked about it before, but we didn't. Oh. You mentioned that... You, I, I think you mentioned in the podcast before that you I were was, going to make it, something yeah, like that. I was a bit unsure, but uh, I, I mentioned it and it's, it's it happened. <laughs> While we didn't do the podcast, it happened and uh, you can... You can watch it. I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm just gonna do the I don't know promoting to watch the video. And uh, I I I do think I have a lot of stuff to improve on. But uh, all in all, I think it captures my experiences of doing the talk. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, definitely check it out. Like YouTube.com/slash/xdavid2 and yeah, maybe bug bounty stuff. I, I plan to do bug bounty and and similar stuff because, uh, yeah, uh, I'm planning to do videos about that topic later on, yeah, and also I, I don't know basic hacking stuff. But really, yeah, the bug bounty thing you told what, yeah, that would be interesting because a lot of people have a hard time understanding it, and so yeah. was I when I started. I I hope you do more YouTube videos. I mean, we talked about this before. <laughs> I think even on the podcast, but not sure. Uh, but yeah, would be cool if you uh, yeah, make more videos about the idea we talk, ideas we talked about, like showing off different tools as well. And I don't know, yeah, you, that, you have a lot of stuff possible. to to get across that just is not on YouTube right now. Yeah, it's it's hard. I'm thinking of like ideas of how could I do it or like concepts because. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of things that I could do videos about, which could be interesting. So I will, I will think about it, and definitely try to make stuff because I think, yeah, it's a really good field to do, you know, these types of videos because there are not a lot of videos like this. You, I, I see here in the notes you ordered stuff for your first Arduino project. I did. Hey, I did, you're uh, joining the club! Congratulations. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, thank you. I so <laughs> I I I don't know. I was playing around with the Arduino, and my friend he also uh, started getting into Arduino, who I did the chatbot with, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I got interested in uh, in it. I was just like thinking of project ideas, and for some reason, uh, I am now. I bought stuff to make like a little uh, air quality station or like sensor or something. It's not that security related. It's just like a project. But uh, because the thing is that I have this some kind of allergy or something that, uh, you know, if with dust, I'm not really comfortable with the dust. So uh, my nose can't really handle it. So that's why I, I was always interested in how, you know, how is the dust in the air? for example, in my room or something. And I thought like, oh yeah, you, I could just make something which could collect all the data. And uh, I bought uh, a li- little particle sensor. It's really interesting. It just arrived today. It's a little box where it pulls the air in with a l- little mini uh, uh, fan. And then it shines laser onto the air and then it calculates how many particles are in it. Whoa, that's, that's super cool. cool. Yeah, it's like a PM PM 2.0 particle sensor. If you search for it, it's it's basically you can get like a I I think three types of measurements like PM one, PM 2.0, and PM five, PM ten. These are the size of the particles, so it kind of measures it with the laser. I I think it's pretty cool. I'm not sure if it works fine or not. It's probably you people said that it's not really accurate, but you can notice the patterns, and that's the point. Also, I ordered like a air quality sensor which is i don't know it just combines like carbon monoxide like stuff and like everything and calculates like an air quality thing also i all ordered uh, <laughs> temperature and humidity sensor and also uh, a barometer thing so i will have everything and i also ordered a uh, node mcu i oh I, I i was yeah, afraid cool. that so I can just hook up everything and and send the data to Google Sheets or something, which will be interesting. But it can actually, I think it can, it could work. I I don't know if I bought the right Node MCU because I just Google uh, searched Doesn't AliExpress. Matter. Hey, I hope you get the one that I have. Actually, no, sorry, I'm cursing you. Uh, I have I got this one that was like super cheap, and I was like, cool. So I got like twenty of them, and they are the exact wrong pin spacing, so they take up the whole board. Uh, of the breadboard so you have to wire underneath it it's the dumbest thing ever so hopefully you can get those ones but how can i you probably you probably did because like the market's flooded with them (laughs) like there's only like two versions that like are the skinny ones that are proper and like all the other ones are the retarded ones but you can work with them they're just dumb it's just dumb (laughs) you'll you're gonna learn a lot about wiring if you got the the wide one but i have didn't i Sorry, David, didn't I send you like a lot of Arduino stuff? Was, yeah, was there no ESP in there? There were actually I, I just looked into it and I was trying to find an ESP. There was something, but there was no that was only the ESP. <laughs> Did you get and the V3? Uh, Did you get the Node MCU V3? The mighty V3? I, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let me oh, read the geez, title. Don't new <laughs> new wireless. Wait, 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 wait. New wireless module CH340 Node MCUV free ah, Lua Wi-Fi development board. Welcome to the club. I have 16 of those little bitches. Um, yeah, they're they work. They're 
They definitely work. Yeah, they're shit. Uh, they're like hey. the worst you can get, pretty much. <laughs> Don't, Wait, wh why? Look what? out! Look, look out for the not MCUs that are not labeled as V3, uh, yeah. but labeled as maybe they're labeled with the CP twenty one oh two, which is the serial chip. Yeah, and that version is the original, more or less. I mean, the not MCU is a open source project so you can find it on github the schematics and everything so of course a lot of chinese people oh. just copied it but there are now two versions because some company thought hey let's make a version free so uh we just it's change the design a bit and then we can tick. sell it as a new version and people will buy that because they will think that it's newer but actually it's just the same design but, but cheaper and shit <laughs> and it, infuriating because uh, you have to use two breadboards in order to work with it or wire everything it's underneath bigger, right? it it's bigger it's yeah. fat it's twice yeah, it's two 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 pins um that are it's like two pins wider thicker. yeah so it's yeah. exactly exactly the width of the breadboard you cannot plug anything onto the sides you have to plug and it oh, also comes pre-soldered so you can't solder in like acceptable pin headers that allow you to plug in on the top of it which would actually make it useful but no like we're not going to solder in those pin headers that would actually make this thing useful we're going to sell it with sharp pin headers that fucking cut sorry that cut you when you try to like plug it into anything because it's the cheapest one ever sorry I hate right. these I have I, so I, I see because it covers the whole thing. Now I understand what you're talking. Oh, oh that's, Vimos, that's bad. But by the Wemo sports. Nope. They work though. <laughs> they work. They work. Yeah, I the first Node MCU I bought was that shitty version three. But because wait, I, no. I I was looking for it and I thought, oh, version three, that's the newest one. I should probably get that one. Right. Yeah, same. Me I too. Mean, you Me look too. at it and it's V three. That that should be great. Yeah, the marketing it of it is so. It just makes me so mad that it worked on all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for, just buy the Vimo sports they for, cost the same and they are much better yeah I mean for a beginner like I, I have no idea but you know you just search for Node MCU and it looks like it's the best but uh, <laughs> but, but, but no problem because you remember Space and I bought a Node MCU uh, I don't know like a few years ago when you made the deal for oh right yeah I still have that and I think that's the other one that's the better one yeah that's oh, yeah. the so, I can just use one. that and use the the shitty one for the D offer because it doesn't matter <laughs> because I don't plug it into anything, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, no, no, not not to offend. Uh, <laughs> I use the bad one for the D offer, but it 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 will work the same, right? It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just wider. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. They use a different serial chip on there, but it's still like ninety nine percent the same thing. There's no difference for you. Oh, okay, so I can definitely run. Uh, yeah, then I'm just gonna use the, that one for the project, and then uh, I have. You, a... you have a Mac. Maybe you need to install drivers for the other one, but not sure. <laughs> no, uh, uh, for me, for me anyway, I have a Mac as well, and it just immediately works. Um, okay. The 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 cheaper one is the one that requires drivers, and it's like that weird <laughs> Chinese driver that like has no explanation, and everything's in Chinese. The cheaper one, the version three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I meant. That for I that version, to... you probably need to install drivers. Yeah. For the do. Arduino you sent me, Spitzen, I had to install a driver. Wow. Yeah. That was the the Uno. It was nothing crazy. But I had to... Uh, there was a driver. It wasn't Chinese. It was like a generic, I don't know, driver for like a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. You prob It's probably the same driver anyway. I think it handles everything because the if check. I... Driver, whatever it is. CH340. Uh, 
It looks like Chegg. That's how I remember it. But yeah, that one. Yeah, it looks like Chegg. <laughs> I have no idea, but uh, I just know that when I plug it in, it makes a new port. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I can just select it and it works. All right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's great. I just bought the wrong one, but I can I can <laughs> see it But yeah, you, you sent me the the one the ESP itself. I can I don't know how to solder that on. <laughs> you can maybe you can use that for future projects. Yeah, but you also sent me another one which didn't have it. I don't know what it is. It don't have a doesn't have a heatsink on the top. Doesn't have a heatsink. It's it's not not the. Is it it's, is uh, it also just a chip? No, it's the whole thing. It's Node MCU, but it doesn't have the... The metal shielding. Yeah. yeah. So what's the problem now? I don't know. I just, I was afraid of, I don't know what it was. What? Use it. It's just, I, I probably upgraded the flash. Is it the one with the uh, antenna connector? Possible. I don't know. Does it uh, have? Because I am, I made my own Node MCUs and some of them... I upgraded, like some have upgraded flash because they have these SPI uh, flash memory chips on there. And uh, especially the modules, the ESP07 that has the external antenna connector has just one megabyte of flash on there, which is annoying because for some projects or probably no one but me needs sometimes uh, more flash. And the ESP12, which is the standard one that is used on all the non-MCUs and VMOS boards, those have four megabytes. Yeah, so do. you have to decide uh, either you have the classical four megabyte one or you have the one where you always have to change the upload settings and have to look out that your code is small enough. But in exchange, you get the external antenna. So what I did is I made my own node MCU, put on the ESP07, and then upgraded the memory chip. So you basically have a classical Node MCU. You don't have to care about anything. It's just the same thing, but you can connect an external antenna. Huh. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That's super cool. So I can just use that <laughs> as well. I yeah. was unsure why it doesn't have the the metal things that I just gonna buy. Anyway, you have enough Node MCUs to, to yeah. work on your stuff. Uh, I think Cody has to go in a bit, so we should probably move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just I I gonna keep it short. My updates is hackerspace is running well. We have weekly meetups right now. Uh, we have around eight people or more, uh, yeah, coming to the meetups every week. Uh, sometimes even like twelve people. I think was our record. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's working really well, and now we are looking into getting our own room, preferably on campus. I mean, preferably we want our own space and be completely independent, but that's not possible with like a dozen people. We we cannot afford this. So the next step is to talk to professors that could probably support us and maybe give us a room because a lot of professors have their own lab and they don't use it. So they could also give it to us or maybe we can use it together or something, you know. Uh, that would be really cool because then we could work on way more stuff just, yeah, while we are on campus anyway. Um, so yeah, that would be perfect. We will see how that goes and I will report back on that progress. <laughs> but yeah, uh, our conversation today gave me, uh, again, a lot of good arguments I can I can give to those uh, professors or just university people we're gonna speak to 
because this field is so underestimated in this country, I feel like. But yeah, uh, despite mm -hmm. that, uh, I'm I already s mentioned it before. The smart light, smart smart ah smart light bulbs bulbs. <laughs> Uh, these these shitty uh, Chinese you you can get them for what, what did I pay like twelve euros so maybe between ten and twenty dollars you can get them or even cheaper from China. Uh, it's just a normal regular light bulb, but it can some some of them can do RGB or the, at least the ones I tested can do RGB and they just have an ESP eighty two sixty six in there to control it and they have a really shitty very sketchy app to control them and those are. There, there is a good talk from the last Congress about it, but the talk is in German, which is a bit sad for all our English listeners. There is probably a translation online, but still. Um, the TLDR on these, these smart light bulbs is, or just any of these smart home gadgets, because they all use the same firmware, they all use the same app, they all have the same vulnerabilities. Wow. Uh, they, yeah, look, I mean, not all in like 100% all of them, but... If you you look at these smart plugs, these smart light bulbs, smart I don't know doors, sensors, uh, I I saw so much shit. They all have the same keywords in the title, the same weird description. They all have a weird brand name you never heard of. They all cost around the same. They all use the same app. I uh, have the same setup steps. They all have an ESP in there with the same firmware, and they it's just ah. And it's so bad because you can only set them up with this app and you cannot start the or use the app before you registered. So before you can even turn on your new light, <laughs> you already give your uh, personal data to some Chinese company, right? <laughs> and then to uh, the next step is you have to give your smart light uh, the connection, the, the SSID and the password to your Wi-Fi. So now the Chinese company also knows uh, the login to your Wi-Fi. <laughs> I mean, theor theoretically, uh, apparently it's not sending that info out, but it's also not saving it encrypted. And the, the, the company could just provide a quick update and steal that information from your light bulb. <laughs> also, the app requires um, permissions to your GPS, to your phone, address what? book, everything. Why? That doesn't uh, surprise so me at all. But still, yeah, so they that's get crazy. as much data from you as possible. So um, through one installation of this dumb off-brand smart light, <clears throat> you have to turn over your personal information, then your GPS location, your yes. Wi-Fi login and password, and like like a bunch of other data from your phone, including your your contact list, like who you know. Yeah. So it's, it's um, smart. It's smart, guys. <laughs> it's smart, yeah. Okay, I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that contact list, but this app does require a shit ton of um permissions. Uh, what's the name? Permissions. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes as much as it can from you. My god. Uh, I'm, and I'm not surprised. Is... They're probably selling the product so cheaply because they're exactly. making money on the data they're extracting from their customers. This is exactly what the talk from the Congress uh, was about. I think the talk name is Smart Light, Smart Hack, something like that. Um, and yeah, pretty much they want your GPS, for example, so that when you... Oh yeah, right. So they're usually the all these smart gadgets, they are produced by maybe one company somewhere in China. 
but this is like no name brand. They resell that to other companies. Those are like the the man in the middle here because they put their brand on on them and they resell it everywhere on the world. So you have a shit amount of companies selling the same light bulbs. They maybe look a little bit different because they can choose which design they want. They can choose which packaging they want. They can even choose to get a custom made app for them, but it's still the exact same app just with maybe a different logo, a little bit different color theme or something. It's still the same app. It's still the same firmware. And now uh, they want your GPS data because then these these uh, companies, these middlemans, they have a web interface where they can see all that data from their customers. And they can see how many light bulbs are uh, purchased or, or in use in which um, yeah, where which which positions on the world. Um, that sounds wrong. I don't know how to say that sentence. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they they can see that information. That's that's the uh, the real business behind it. That that data, and those companies in the middle. The the manufacturer itself probably makes a good living out of just producing them, uh, and yeah. Now I have yeah. to also point out that if you don't change your router's password, those could probably almost definitely log into your router at any moment too. Yes, I it's cheap ESP eighty two sixty six so. It's a bit uh, limited to the capabilities, but if you have a good programmer there, you could just sneak in. That That's another thing that is mentioned in the talk. You could also man in the middle these lights and, and flash them with your own firmware over the air. And you don't notice it because they, they pull updates and install them rather quickly without you knowing it. There's no visual indication. There's no, you can choose to update or a notification on the app. There's no uh, info you get as a customer. So even these these companies that they put their branding check. on them, they could uh, quickly ro roll out an update, for example, just to collect the SSID and the password the lamp is using currently, send that back to their cloud and then uh, an hour later, they provide another update that just erases that previous update. So no one would ever know that their data was just stolen. Right. But that manufacturer now or that, that company now has uh, hundreds of thousands of Wi-Fi logins. You and can possibly also logins to other accounts because people reuse the same passwords. You yeah. can just man in the middle the update so it doesn't even check. Yeah, you can man in the, the, the updates are not signed or anything. Oh, nice. There's like no security in those things at all. Speaking yeah, of that, were you able to put a custom code on it? Were you able to get the deauthor working on it? Oh yeah, I have. I have a deauthoring lamp now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You should make the deauth detector with the lamp. Uh, I will. I have four different lamps, all from different companies, all with a different design, <laughs> but they are all the same thing. How much memory um, do they have? Are they like four megabytes, like four the Node or less? Yeah. How much? Four megabytes, just ah. like the NodeFCU. And how do you how do you connect to them? Uh, just over like over what? Yeah, Cyril, you have to open the lamp, which is mm. usually pretty easy. And there are different designs. Some of them, uh, I I will show this in the video in more detail. Okay, uh, but the I'm TLDR excited. is 
you can open them all and some are more accessible than others but basically you just have to find the right pins and they are always broken out somewhere because they have to flash these lamps themselves you just have to find them and then you hook that up to a usb serial uh thingy and yeah you can flash your own code and also you can dump the firmware that is on there oh yeah the chicken man game but i i think i you should you should explain that Cody. <laughs> i can i can open it a bit um so yeah we uh i was working on a cybersecurity workshop where we wanted to teach um how you can do wi-fi hacking without getting in trouble and because we constantly get people accusing us of being reckless uh, for teaching students about Wi-Fi hacking, we wanted to try to do something that didn't involve deauthing and that anybody could do that would be cheap. Uh, and usually the way people do this is either they provide pre-recorded PCAP files or capture files. So they go out and record them and then you have to work with files that are already there, which seems super boring. Um, or you buy a router or, you know, have a an actual access point that you set up to be vulnerable, which also seemed expensive. So I was remembering a lot of the things that the ESPs can do. And I was just like, wait a minute, like, what if we could just have one of these ESPs just join the second one? We could have two kind of just joining each other. And that would be a way that we could play a game like that. So I started working on a design. And after I thought about it for a bit and kind of laid it out, that's when I contacted uh, Spacetoon and was asking if he could help me put it together and I had no idea what I was going to name the game but I was just like if you help me with this I will name it after you and that's how it became known as the chicken man game because I've uh every time I've done like a like a null bite article I just keep trying to push the nickname the chicken man because it's it's just like <laughs> off-putting and weird it's and it sounds like it's someone you should maybe be scared of like I'm not totally sure but I think it's funny so like so we named it the Chicken Man game, and it kind of, like, because it has a name now, like, we started coding it so that the uh, the access points were the chickens, and the, the the ESP that's joining the access points to keep the score is the Chicken Man. Um, so it, it really started taking off, and um, my friend Brandon, uh, who helps me out with producing Cyber Weapons Lab, he's a computer science student that is um, really, really talented. He's really smart. He thought we were coding in C instead of C++, yet still managed to get the majority of the functionality of this game like up and running over a couple days of coding it with me. So we tested it out. Um, it was the code was pretty messy, but it it worked, and we were able to make it so that each time you hack the the chicken, it gets harder. So it detects that you've hacked it, and you've you've set your your flag either red, green, or blue team. Uh, and then once you set that flag, it'll start a new Wi-Fi network that has a harder password and announce itself as a, like a medium chicken instead of an easy chicken. So. <laughs> It really started taking off and we started being like, okay, so now each chicken generates a certain amount of points, a certain amount of eggs per second. And if it's an easy one, you get like one point per second. If it's a medium one, you get three points per second. And if it's a hard one, you get five cents per, uh, five points per second. Because if you're, you're playing this against other teams, maybe you want to go after the hard game piece. So you get like a bunch more points because somebody's already gotten it, you know, all the way to that point that you can hack it and then steal, steal the, the chicken. Or uh, maybe you want to focus on all the easy ones because you know it'll take you less time and you can just start to accumulate points. So the way we have it working now is when you play it, you can add as many chickens as you want, which again are the, the game piece that creates the access point. So depending on how many chickens you have, you will have that many. They start all start out as easy Wi-Fi access points that you can hack. And the chicken man will go ahead and connect to every single one of them and generate a Wi-Fi handshake. 
So since we're teaching about WPA2 cracking, what we need to do is first generate a handshake for the students to listen in on and capture, and then crack the handshake via AirCrackNG or Pirate or Hydra or whatever you want to use. So um, after you end up cracking the password and you have uh, like a, a viable password to log in into the network, and it depends on which type of, if it's easy, medium, or hard, the easy one is drawn from the top 100 worst passwords, the medium one is drawn from a longer password list, and then the hard one is drawn from like a famous like Darkov or um, uh, uh, some of the other like really famous like password dumps. So the point of it is, once you get the password, you log into the access point, and Brandon actually coded this really nice little interface that says, you set your flag, you can be the red team, the green team, or the blue team. And when you set your flag, the LED, uh, either red, green, or blue, lights up, so you know that your team has that chicken, and the chicken man starts recording points for your team. Uh, the final little piece of uh, piece of pizzazz we put on it is the chicken man um, displays the the winner on it, all the all the pieces are the same. They have a red, green, and blue LED. So the chicken man shows who whichever team is winning on its LED. So you can keep track of who's winning both via serial because it's constantly outputting um, the amount of points each team has, or you can just look at the LEDs and it tells you which team is in the lead, um, in insofar as which team has the most points. So Stefan has come in and basically <laughs> rewritten the majority of this uh, <laughs> to make it more abstracted and easier to track down bugs and also solved a couple of things. Like, uh, for example, if one of these crashed, it wiped out the score. So now he's doing a couple of clever things like saving the score in EEPROM memory instead of saving it directly in the, the regular memory that Arduino regularly saves it in. And that allows us to do things like make it so we have to press the button a couple times in order to reset the game piece so it'll survive crashing or being disconnected for a second or other bugs that come up when we're working with these like tiny, cheap microcontrollers. But uh, Stefan, maybe you could tell a little bit about uh, what you've done with it. Uh, what I've done with it? I mean... I reprogrammed everything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't know uh, if I want to go into two details here, but um, basically I just cleaned up the whole code and we're trying to fit this in one simple to use Arduino sketch where you have a configuration file to set your passwords and stuff. And I mean... Basically, you just have a nice capture the flag game with ESPs here, where that you can use for workshops and other stuff, and uh, also LEDs, so it's blinking and it's nice. And, everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. and I mean, e even for me, uh, this is this is like super fun to play and to work on. I I I have still no idea why, but it's just it's super cool, and uh, I feel like we we explain it here a lot. But um, maybe we should make a video or something so to, to get the whole idea across better, in a, in a better way. So I actually recorded a video on playing the game using Pirate. So I have like a demonstration that I, I'm probably going to put up in the next week or so. But we should Great. definitely, yeah, now that we have an updated version, we should definitely um, just do a demonstration of how it works. In fact, I think that's going to I think that's gonna be coming up pretty soon that I'll, I'll be recording something. Because we're going to be doing this live on May 4th. Um, so a big group of students is going to come in and start hacking these networks and we'll see how the game goes. And hopefully you can use it in your hackerspace as well and see if students are able to understand it. Because uh, if it works, then this is a whole hacking game that reacts to you. Like our, our kind of inspiration was like making targets that react when you hack them. 
Like we're tired of like targets that don't do anything. Like creating something that like visually you can tell when you're when you've hacked it and like you get that feedback that you've done something. Um, that's really what I wanted to create because it makes it so much more fun and easy. Because yeah. this costs less than one Raspberry Pi Zero. <laughs> Like exactly. one Raspberry Pi Zero W, sorry, because the, the Pi Zeros are five bucks. But for less than $10, you can have two of these devices that create a whole ecosystem for hacking. And not only do they create the ecosystem, they react to you. They light up. They're fun. Like, so if anybody wants to like join us on working with these, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's now available for you to check out under uh, the Chicken Man game, which is under my GitHub Skakar. Uh, but if you want to add features, if you want to take a look at it, play it, you just need two of these super cheap microcontrollers, and it should work on the ESP32 as well, although we have not tested it yet. So um, yeah, we want to create, creating, uh, keep creating these games. So if if anybody's interested in these, if if you got suggestions or you want to see more games, we often use default sketches um, that are in, or that are involved in the libraries in Arduino because there's a lot of examples of like for example a Telnet server or something that might be fun to add to the game as an Easter egg where you you know you hack into a Telnet server and that gives you extra points. Um, those sorts of things can be incorporated as we find more stuff that people want to do and stuff that people want to learn while playing this game, while still keeping it fun and reactive. I think NeoPixels. That's the next step. Making NeoPixels. It, making it light awesome. up. <laughs> they put on a, a LED strip. Yeah, I, the, the game is great because it's so um, it's fun for more advanced people, or you can easily hack together more features to make it more interesting for uh, like more advanced hackers. But it's also so much fun for beginners that have no clue about hacking whatsoever. You just have to show them a bit how to use Aircrack, but that's that's not that hard. So I just opened the GitHub page and I saw this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've dramatically upgraded the GitHub with ASCII chickens. So if you're if you want to see some seriously quality ASCII chickens, head over to the GitHub page. And then uh, if you point your, it says who will be the chicken man in all caps. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm actually amazed because we've only we've been working on this for not that long. We already have 22 stars on GitHub. So, star projects <laughs> like our stuff. 22 stars is already pretty good for that time time frame. I know, I know. I'm impressed. I have to wonder how many people have actually played it, but I guess we'll see. Um, I, so I I was actually surprised because I didn't get much responses on the on the tweets or the retweets from you, but. Uh, 22 stars on GitHub is actually really good. Yeah, yeah, people are finding it one way or another. Um, but yeah, so uh, is, our, my get, last... Getting, huh? Sorry, getting stars on this repository with these pictures on the readme is also another... Um, yeah. <laughs> Should you get to I think I'm pretty sure thinking. that the stars are because of the pictures on the repository. Yeah... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I have on my list of updates is something I can't talk too much about, but um, as you guys know, I do the Nullbyte show. Um, oh, Cyber Weapons Lab is the name of the show for Nullbyte. Uh, I created that because I got bored of just doing articles and I thought it would be popular, and I was right. 
but I don't have a lot of flexibility when it comes to what I can do. And I feel a little bit tied down in terms of having to always be very factual and be very um, educational. Like we're always just like teaching. And I almost feel like I'm endorsing like every tool that we do. Like I'm being like, check this out. It's the best. So sometimes when we get negative feedback, it's because people just don't like the tool or something, which is a little weird. Um, but overall, uh, I really wanted to create a show that has a little bit more flexibility where I can do more stuff that I've been wanting to do. And I recently got the opportunity to work with another channel, um, which is really, really exciting. And it looks like we're going to get to do a new show. So I was talking with, um, a couple of different people about what we want to change. And I think the core thing is right now we're producing content that is like, you are already one of us. Like if you're watching our show, you were searching for something about hacking. Uh, you were either looking for how to do something, you had a problem you were trying to fix, but something that already interested you brought you to, you know, searching for something about hacking. We didn't bring you there. So while we get a lot of people who are curious about hacking and then we get them interested, we don't get anybody who you know, finds the content interesting, but does, might not be interested in going into cybersecurity. We kind of make the assumption that a lot of the people that are watching our content are going to go out and try the thing that we're teaching about. And I'm finding that that's not often the case or, or not always the case. And that might be a big reason why other hacking channels reach a certain cap and have a really difficult time, like getting more subscribers above that. So while I really like producing content for Nullbyte, I think that the next step is not being like, hey, you're one of us. Let me show you some of, of the great stuff that's out there. It's more like being, hey, we are your hacker friends, and we're going to walk you into this community and this culture that you might be interested in but have no idea how it works or, or like the way that it actually is and show you something that's actually relevant and interesting. And the model that we were kind of going after was Mythbusters. Like Mythbusters is something that got people to be curious about science and want to see the outcome of an experiment that was genuinely interesting and touches a lot of different people's interests in their lives. So we wanted to try to do something kind of similar. Um, and that's where we're kind of driving at with this, where we basically want to explore three things, tools, myths, and culture. Like hackers have a lot of different aspects uh, that people are curious about, like the average person wants to know, that would also be interesting for you know a, somebody who knows a lot already and is maybe in the interest industry, but wants to see how things work in the real world. And an example that I kind of gave was if we wanted to do a show on um, social engineering with, uh, with USB thumb drives. So there's a famous story about how China like hacked the US government by dropping USB thumb drives into like Department of Defense parking lots and employees were like, oh, sweet, free thumb drive and went into the building and plugged it in their computer and ended up infecting the network. So a format where we go and talk to an expert at a, a local university, the way computer file kind of gets somebody or the way that Mythbusters would bring in an expert to talk about whatever it is they were trying to test, coming up with a way of testing it, like leaving a bunch of flash drives in a, a, a busy parking lot and seeing how many people actually pick them up and then kind of figuring out why, <laughs> why did you do that? Like what, it, like, you know, do you consider the consequences? Like, do you think that, you know, nothing bad has ever happened? Those sorts of, of questions we think would be really interesting for people who want a view into hacker culture, but they also want to see the way that things play out in the real world and what kind of um, what kind of impact like the hacker community and hacker culture have in their lives. You know, because if they get out of their car in, in a in a parking lot and they find a flash drive on the ground, they're probably going to think of it very differently if they watch this episode where they see not only an expert talking about a real time where this happened, but also see how many other people have the same misconception. So 
that's our idea. Um, we're gonna hopefully also cover culture, so things like hackerspaces, um, show off like the people and kinds of projects that are there. Things like DEF CON, so we show off like what kinds of things people can expect once they get deeper into the hacker community, or what kind of people are there, even if they're not going to get involved themselves. And then the tools that are actually, uh, we're planning on not so much showing tools beginning to start, this is how to use it. We're planning more on showing like, is it possible to do this thing that this tool purports to do? Let's test it. And for example, with uh, Spacian's dauthor, if we wanted to say, you know, is it is it possible for this little board to switch off all of these cameras? And we create a scenario where someone has to walk down a hallway and use the dauthor to disable all the cameras so they never appear on the footage. That's something that's more interesting to a beginner to see, wow, I could be a ghost on all these IP cameras just by, you know, using this very exploitable principle that's baked into this little board. So that's what we want to do. We want to we want to show off hacker culture for not just the people already inside it, but for the kind of people who would gravitate to a show like Mythbusters that shows off um, these sorts of concepts in a way that relates back to them, or at least to concepts they've heard of or stories they've heard about. Sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'll, I'm always looking for more ideas, and this isn't really set in stone, but. I just, uh, yeah, I'm looking for feedback from anyone out there in the community. If you're watching this podcast, I always like to hear. You can tell me on Twitter what you think. But uh, I want to create something that's fun for people to watch that is cross-platform, both for experts and then for beginners who want to know whether or not it's possible, but don't necessarily want to sit through being educated on how to use every single detail of a Linux-only tool when, you know, they they just want to get the kind of meat of the episode. Like, is this possible? What can it do? How does this relate back to me? Yeah, I think it also creates more security awareness. Exactly. And I think publications like Motherboard have done a great job of like bringing it back home, like taking these kind of abstract updates or abstract pieces of news and bringing them back to how it affects the aver- the everyday user. You know, if you look at the Equifax breach, it's just some data breach until you figure out that, you know, five years time, every scammer is going to have access to every single company you've ever done business with. And that affects you. So, you know, being able to bring it back to the the regular person is something that we in InfoSec aren't very good at doing. And that's a challenge that I'm going to try to take on with this new series is is how can we make this sort of stuff interesting for people who are curious, but don't want to sit down and, you know, how to learn how to use a Linux tool for seven minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sounds sounds interesting. Probably will be for not even the technical people. Yeah, it's great to create more of entertain. I feel like there is not much like entertaining content about yeah. hacking. You have some kind of news in that direction, you know, but not in that Mythbusters direction you want to go. That's well, great. Mythbusters tried to do an episode on NFC hacking and um, their advertisers pulled out. <laughs> they said that they, they their advertisers would not like support that Weird. show so they had to cancel it if you look if you look up like nfc um mythbusters they literally had to scrap the episode because it, it showed off too much they felt like so people have tried to do this before but they weren't in the right position because you know mythbusters was on what the discovery channel or whatever so you know because they had limits with their advertisers we don't have any advertisers as of yet so um, I don't think we would run into the same problem when we're trying to cover that sort of content. Obviously, the budget is different. You know, we're not we're not getting paid that much to produce uh, you know that sort of content. But at the same time, like we can still take something from that lesson of like, all right, like this is what normal people. This is how normal people get into science. 
You know, you have to bring it back to them and you have to make it relevant enough that they can see themselves because otherwise it just seems like this wild thing that never relates back to them or, or never really connects. Pop science. Pop science. Or at least science like that's poppy enough or with relevant enough examples that, you know, having a, a little... My idea was like your deauthor board, if you can sneak that into a pair of sunglasses and then you have um, a pair of sunglasses that takes out security cameras while you walk by, even if it's just looking for a, like a regex to match to various different camera types, like that still is catchy enough and it's uh, enough of a specific example of the application that it, it looks really cool, especially if you just take the extra time to make the sunglasses look cool. It's just about, you know, it's literally about the way it looks, but by packaging this concept that, you know, the the science behind it is solid. Like, you know that it works and you've, you've displayed this in a number of different ways, but literally just by making it a, like a fashion accessory, the average person would think that it looks slick and cool and they won't understand all the intricacies of, you know, the, the chip and what goes on inside of it, but they will understand that it works. And that's going to make them think twice about Wi-Fi security and it's going to make them interested in the topic. And for the average, you know, cybersecurity person who knows about this already, seeing it actually happen is gratifying because you know it's going to, you know, in theory it's going to work, but watching the image actually flicker out or freeze on the screen when the person walks by and just being like, oh shit, it really works. That's something that I think we can, we can still work with and not lose that audience of people who are already in cybersecurity. Yeah, it, it sounds really great. This, that was a great example with the sunglasses. Yeah, great idea, I think. Do it! Thank you. Yeah. Well, good, because you guys are going to be guests on it, so. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, well, I'm, I'm all in. Do it. Good, good. I need quality guests for my culture and... Um, tools part but maybe you guys can help dispel some myths too maybe if you know any good <laughs> hacker myths hmm. <laughs> we don't know how to respond to that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but definitely interested cool cool well, yeah that's all the updates i have i've uh, i've got the chicken man game i've got the new show and then we're going to be testing the chicken man game in our next um hacking workshop our last one was um, the lockpicking one that I mentioned. So it's going really well. We had a full house of like over 30 people who came to the event. So it was really, really nice to, to get all those people out there learning. Not exactly cybersecurity, but there are, there are computers behind locked doors. So it, it, it relates. Yeah, I, I need to get, I, I want to make a lockpicking workshop as well. I just need to find someone that can actually do a lockpicking workshop first. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really popular. If you do it, I think you'll get a lot of engagement. Tons of people from our school were interested in, in going, even ones that didn't manage to make it. So we might even be, do it, be doing a second one because uh, it was really popular. We don't even have... Um, I mean, you said it, it was no problem for your school, right? Yeah. You were not worried about it. No, they were not worried about it. We explained uh, we explained that it was well. Okay, it helped us because the person who did ours is, is a forensic specialist. So because he's like kind of an official guy, they they just saw him as like a, a subject matter expert. If it was just some hacker from the local hacker space, they might have felt differently. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Getting some like certified uh, experts for for stuff like this. It definitely helps. You get a lot more yeses. Hmm. All right. I think that's it, right? Yeah. I don't have anything else. Mm -hmm. David? Oh, my yep. God. Nope. I think. 
Um, oh yeah, so, uh, <laughs> uh, what do we have to do? We have to thank Cody, thank for more yeah. or less, uh, <laughs> yeah, managing this whole episode. <laughs> no, yeah, I really, you. this is my first podcast series I've done and I really enjoy it. I like hanging out with you guys anyway, so if I can, uh, lend what I've had to learn in doing this hundred, we've done almost a hundred episodes published of No Bite, but we've shot over a hundred episodes now. I'm very happy to uh, to hang out with you guys and uh, shoot these episodes. So thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I thank always you, have fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, you. I mean, you you basically 360 no scope this episode. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well it's been my pleasure uh, we, we are getting in touch with the eSport team so that's why I'm <clears throat> yeah anyway um, I, will, I, I need to thank our, my, my patrons by the way patrons we didn't you, you mentioned patron uh, rather quickly uh, in our previous uh, conversation uh, I can say uh, we I believe we talked about this at the end of another episode like what, which, which one was it like two episodes ago or something um, basically providing content to patrons it's kind of a pain and I don't really I don't really provide much content but that just makes me thank those that support me uh, even more which is Adrian, Eric, Kerry and Textmate uh, I feel like every time it, it's getting it's getting less people but uh, I don't think the uh, the overall money I get I think that increased, but it's less people. Uh, at least less, more less generous people. people. At yeah. least less people that uh, have the um, the real supporter. Real yeah, fan. that that give more than five dollars, so they they are named here. I could Aww. probably name anyway. Um, oh, okay, but th- thank you for everyone supporting. So if you, yeah, you and I guess thank you because students, students like us, like we we have all sorts of other things we're doing, and the more time that we can spend working on these cool projects for you guys, the better. So anything helps. So thank you for supporting yeah. Spacing. Yeah, yeah, yes. thank you for everyone. Yeah, and as a overall um, thing, I I I have to say, patron is not really worth it if you're considering that as like a real income source, but it is just great, f- at, at least for me personally, because it gives a, a little bit of extra budget just for the projects I do. For example, these all these light bulbs I bought and I had to bought cables as well so I can connect connect them on my table and don't have to run through the house searching for some... Uh, 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 God, what do you call these... Lamp connectors, I don't know, uh, where you like screw in the lamp, yeah, sockets, yeah, you, sockets. sockets. Thank you. <laughs> I had to buy like uh, sock, sock, socket cables, I don't know what you call them, but anyway, uh, overall, just for this, this weird project, and I uh, it turned out quite expensive just because of the amount of lamps and sockets I bought for it, but just having that patron income it, it helps a lot so you hear uh, that you guys are directly funding evil hacking light bulbs congratulations yes soon your directly. light bulbs will be the threat you have to worry about <laughs> <laughs> it's all right i will i would show in my video how you can flash a uh, proper open source firmware on them as well so you can use them as regular uh yeah smart home gadgets but without fearing the chinese getting all your data 
Ooh, and you could probably send them to your worst enemy um, and program them to randomly deauth their entire network too. That's fun. Yeah, uh, you could also order some, uh, flash them with your own firmware, and then return them. <laughs> but of course you shouldn't, and I would never say that. So yeah, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I guess that's the part where David does his part. Yeah, but we really have to cut this short, I guess. So uh, I just will say that we are we appreciate any feedback you might have, and if you listened to this part, then thank you. And we are really interested in what do you think because not a lot of people get to this point. So. I am talking to you, and uh, and I, uh, uh, yeah, I have to say that I am talking to you part just to make this a proper finish, but uh, like ending. But um, yeah, thank you for listening, and please uh, give us feedback if you have any, and if you liked it, tell us that you liked it. If you didn't, tell us what you didn't like. Thank you. And if and if you don't, just say hi and say hey, I listened. Yeah, to if you listen end. to the whole thing, yeah, that, that's awesome. Be- it's also something it, we are. It means in. so much. I mean, really, yeah, if yeah. you make something for two hours and then someone actually says, "Oh yeah, I, I listened to the whole thing. It was great." Yeah, that, that <laughs> even definitely. if even if it was great. not great, just knowing that you listened to the end, <laughs> it yeah. means a lot. So give us feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi to us on Twitter. Yeah, do pretty it. much. Thank you. <laughs> Smash that like button. Yes. Yes. And hit the bell icon. <laughs> Wait, what do we? We don't have a bell icon. Yeah, but you can subscribe. Or yeah, you, and comment down below what you think of this topic. Yeah, you can actually comment. Uh, give on a. Uh, you, you can, can give comment. a feedback on iTunes. On iTunes, yeah. Or you can just smash that us. feedback button. <laughs> <laughs> smash the five star. Thank you. All right. Write us, yeah, rate us five stars and ask Jeeves. Thanks, everyone. All right, then. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we have cool episodes, topics to come up. And yeah. Thank you. Yeah, see you next Bye-bye. time. Bye. Bye bye.